Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show that was first heard December the 18th, 2017. And we hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Chester, you want me to get you some water? Well, what I always do is I, I, I hold my breath, count to 10, and if you can, take 10 gulps of water while you're doing it. That... Okay. Chester has the hiccups. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. <laughs> Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Glad to have you along. Uh, my, my voice is coming back, so hopefully I'll be with you all of this evening. And we have some uh, great shows lined up. Chester uh, has the hiccups. He, Chester is addicted to Slurpees. Do you know what Slurpees are? They're sold at 7-Eleven. They're those icy drinks, that the ones that give you the brain freeze. Well, they give Chester a brain freeze too, but they also give him, give him the hiccups. Chester volunteers to, to be a crossing guard at one of the local elementary schools. And where he waits each morning is right in front of a 7-Eleven store. And so he's become addicted to Slurpees. And they give him brain freeze and they give him hic- hiccups. Yeah. There he goes again. All right. Well, hopefully, Chester, you'll, uh, you'll get through this. Listen, we have a great lineup tonight. We have an episode of uh, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. We have an episode on our comedy corner of Father Knows Best, which I don't believe we've ever played on the show before. And it, it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one, and it's kind of funny, so I think you're going to enjoy it. And, of course, we're going to finish up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with an episode of Gunsmoke. And it's a pretty uh, dramatic episode tonight. So that's a great lineup. It's time for you to come in out of the cold, get your jackets off, get in front of the fire there, put your feet up. We've got some uh, hot lemonade over there, some hot cider. It's not spiced, but uh, if you want to put something in it yourself, you're, you're welcome to do that. 
and uh, just get all cozy and comfortable because we're going to get started in just a moment. I'm very glad to have you all along. You are looking very well tonight, I might say. It's cold outside. Some of you are having snow. We haven't had that, but uh, next week they say it's going to get pretty cold. Going to get down in the low teens during the evening and highs in the 30s. This week, though, we're, we're expecting mid-50s all week, so ain't too bad. Ain't too bad. That's the kind of weather I like in the wintertime. I like it to get down to about, oh, 39 at night and about 50, 55 during the day. Mm, that's my kind of weather. And Chester has been, like I said, he, he's, he works as a crossing guard, or he volunteers as a crossing guard for one of the elementary schools here in the area. And uh, he sits in front of that 7-Eleven store and just goes in. The, the, the person that owns the store, manages the store, whatever it is, I guess there are franchises. Uh, has a kid in the school, and so they have a fondness for Chester, and they realize he's doing this as a volunteer, and, and, and so they just give him unlimited Slurpees. Well, that's that's not a good idea with Chester. Don't give Chester unlimited anything. But he just sits there and downs those Slurpees and gets this brain freeze and gets the hiccups. And uh, I'll tell you, it's going to have some serious complications one of these days, Chester. Yes, it will. You, you, you can't do that to your brain. <laughs> oh, right. He's holding up. He's holding up a sign saying, "Let's let's do the first show." Okay. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Let's uh, let's have a little radio noir. for a little black and white radio? Ready for a little radio noir? Well, if you are, I am happy to accommodate you because we are going to get things rolling tonight 
with an episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe that was first broadcast on July the 19th back in 1950. It's a good one. It's entitled Last Wish. Here it comes. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. Those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum are glad to bring you tonight's transcribed story, The Last Wish. No, honey, just coffee, nothing else. Oh, wait a minute. Make it another coffee, will you? Sure. Oh, Lieutenant, Matthews, over here. Oh, hi, Phil. Hi. Sit down. I just ordered some coffee for you. Oh, that's wonderful, Marlowe. Now that the niceties are over, where is he? Uh, he's around, Matthews. Where around, Marlowe? Look, why all the hocus-pocus? When you called, you told me to get over the airport here in a hurry. You said you had him. I do. Also, I've got a story. Well, that can keep till we get to headquarters. Phil. No, it can't keep, Lieutenant. Flight it's... 77 Listen. New York. It can't keep any longer than that, Lieutenant. I don't follow you, Marlowe. A guy the law wants in a cozy cell and a plane going to New York. Where's the connection? That's the story, Lieutenant. We got 20 minutes before that plane takes off. Here, have your coffee. Anything else, sir? No. All right, Marlowe, let's have it. But make it snappy. I can't make it snappy, Matthews. It's not that kind of a story. Not parts of it, anyway. All right, Phil, do it your way. Well, it began early this evening, Lieutenant, about 5.30 when I got a call from a doctor in my neighborhood. A nice elderly guy named Sam Talman who once took a bullet out of my shoulder. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah, well, he wanted me to come over to his office right away, Matthews. He was excited, but not for himself. Excited for a patient, an old man who was dying. When I got to his place, the kind of old-fashioned doctor's office where the drab horsehair furniture sort of gets mixed up with the shiny new X-ray equipment, he, he met me at the front door. He's inside with my nurse, Phil, and he's going fast. You've got to be quick. Now, what did I tell you on the phone? Well, almost nothing, Doc, just that he's old. Yes, 70, Phil. Maybe more. Anyhow, his name's Schiller, Jacob Schiller. Mm -hmm. He's a good friend of mine from San Francisco, and he was on his way to Israel to Tel Aviv. Oh. It was his life ambition. Uh, Sit down, Phil. Oh, thanks. uh, He's not going to make it, Doc? Not a chance. It's his heart. He had an attack this afternoon. I can't even move him out of here. He's through. A little too soon. He wanted to go to the new country, is that it? Yes. <laughs> a pioneer's measured by his spirit, not his years, he said. Anyhow, Phil, he came down here to see his son before he caught a plane tonight for New York and uh, the first leg of the trip to Israel. And that's where you come in. I don't know where Jack Schiller is. Uh, Jack's his boy's name. Oh. But the old man would like to see him once more. It's his last wish. He knows he hasn't much time left. Uh Well, why me, Doc? Why not the police? Well, I didn't think... I mean, Phil, it 
Well, Oh, he... the kid doesn't sit too well with the law, huh? I'm afraid not. Excuse me. Sure. Dr. Talman, hello. Oh, oh yes, Mrs. Corley, yes. One every three hours, like it says on the bottle. Yes. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Corley. Uh, where, where was I, Phil? Uh, Jack Schiller and the law, the reason they don't get along. Oh, well, you see, Phil, Jack came down here to L.A. about three months ago, and as his father's old friend, he looked me up. Mm-hmm. So we had him over for dinner a couple of times. But pretty soon he started coming less and less. And when he did, it was a different Jack Schiller. Smart, flashy clothes, a new way of talking. You know, big shot kind of talking. Yeah, I know. Uh, The police are dumb and there's easy money to be made. That kind of talking. And he never would say what his business was, if he had any. But believe me, Marlowe, whatever it was, it wasn't too much on the up and up. And there was some kind of a girl mixed in. There always is. What's Jack Schiller look like, Doc? Look like? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Here, Phil. A picture we took of him when he first came to the house. A barbecue we were having. He's about uh, 30 years old. Kind of good looking, huh? Maybe too good looking, Phil. Maybe that's the trouble. Anyhow, for Jacob's sake, Phil, for my old friend, do you think you can find him? Well, that depends, Doc. What else do you know? Like last address, friend's name, favorite bar. That's the kind of information that counts. I was afraid it would be like that. Phil, I never did know his address. Oh, yeah, but, Doc, there's got to be some place I can start. Oh. One thing, Phil. What? Twice or maybe three times, I saw him going to a fancy apartment house on Wilshire Boulevard, the Sherry Towers. Sherry Towers, huh? I passed it late at night coming from the clinic. I didn't bother stopping to call him. I, well, you know, Phil, if he wanted no part of me, I wanted no part of him. And I wouldn't care about him now either, but for Jacob. Jacob's been a good man, Phil. Always. Phil, you'll try? Yeah. Sure, Doc, I'll try. Doc Talman smiled his thanks without moving his lips. Turned and shuffled toward a room behind him. When he opened the door, I caught a glimpse of a lot of cylinders and tubes and gadgets I didn't understand. And something I did understand a little. The almost peaceful face of an almost peaceful old man who was dying. I didn't try to see any more. There wasn't time to waste. I suddenly wanted to get started in a big hurry. The Sherry Towers on Wilshire was made out of plaster, glass, brick, and acute angles. And it was anybody's guess what held it all together. The only person in the plush lobby was a tall man with a red turkey neck who had a toothpick and a cigarette jammed in one corner of his mouth. I walked over to the receptionist. Yes, that's right. Mr. Lederman's car at 9, Mr. Kelly's at 9.30, Washington Gas. That's it, Steve. Goodbye. Oh, yes, sir. Can I help you? I hope so. I'm looking for Jack Schiller. I'm an old friend of his from out of town. I tried his place, and a neighbor said I might uh, find him here. The neighbor was right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're early. Miss Grant isn't through at the club until 10 at least. Miss Grant? Mm Mm-hmm. Peggy Grant. She sings at the Crown Club. She's the one who lives here. Didn't the neighbor tell you that, too? Uh, yeah, yeah, but the way he said it, I thought he was kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You are from out of town, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, Pitchfork Corners. (laughs) Well, good night, ma'am. Good night. Look for you later, Mr. Pitchfork. (laughs) Oh, you big city slicker, you. Huh? Yeah? Uh, Pardon me for butting in, but I couldn't help overhearing you. I can tell you something about your friend Jack Schiller. 
All right, start telling. Well, let's step outside. I'd rather only you heard it. Oh, sure thing. So you know Jack, do you? Yeah, a buddy of mine. That's why I think I ought to tell you. It's a bad night. For what? For old friends to bother him, Rube. He's busy. Oh! It. Turkey neck must have had clenched in his palm. Folded me fast. By the time I climbed back onto a pair of wobbly knees, he was across the street into an alley and gone. But I cheered myself up at the thought that it was better this way. After all, with Turkey neck coming out on top, I was only a friend of Schiller's from the sticks who nobody had to worry about. And that thought helped all right. Helped everything from the blood that trickled out of my mouth right down to the side. I hoped it would stop by the time I got to the Crown Club. Table for one, sir? Uh, no, thanks. I think I'll watch from the bar. Yes. Oh, tell me, Captain, does Ross Holland still run this club? Oh, yes, sir. You are a friend of Mr. Holland? An acquaintance. Oh, well, in that case, sir, I must insist a table. Oh. Andre, Andre, table for one, Vivmo. Okay. This way, sir. The chanteurs will be on in a moment, and you cannot see as well from the bar. Uh-huh, thanks. I did want to catch her, uh, her number. But this way, sir. Round, sir, there is something wrong? Hmm? Oh, no, I just changed my mind, Skipper. I think I'll go to the bar after all. It was Jack Schiller, no doubt about it. At a corner booth just beyond the bar and huddled close to a girl who was almost dressed in something strapless and spangled and who matched the display poster I'd just seen in the lobby labeled Peggy Grant. I ordered a drink at the bar and then walked it over to a celebrity picture gallery on the wall near them and listened to Schiller, all now, smiles, darling, raised to the a drink happy to toast. end of Mr. George Mancini's squeeze play. And to your letters, back safe and sound in the lily-white hands that wrote them. <laughs> hey, sweet, you're supposed to drink a toast, not stare it down. <laughs> Baby, what is it? Jack, I, I'm worried. I do want everything to go right. Why, if you don't go get those letters from Mancini, I, everything I worked so hard for I couldn't for will catch be lost. it all. Everything. But it was easy to fit together. Peggy Grant, who was now going up fast as a vocalist, had once been in love with and under the personal management of George Mancini. A preserved and alcohol combination agent producer was now going down even faster. And although she had never had a contract with Mancini beyond an oral agreement, her old love letters had included enough business for Mancini to drag them into court where they could stand up in lieu of a written contract and thus net brother Mancini the customary 10% of Peggy's earnings. And to say so about future engagements that neither of them wanted. I haven't spent all this time cultivating Mr. Mancini at his lair on top of Switzer Drive for fun, you know. Believe me, doll, we're in. Honest. All right, Jack, if you say so, darling, but will you know the letters? I are... know, love letters. Forget it, Angel. I won't even open them. They belong to a long time ago, and I'm not interested. Now, you go on out there and sing for your supper. I knew that and once Sheila left the club, he was going to be busy. So as they started to tear themselves away from each other, I figured it was the right time for me to step in. What I didn't figure on was Ross Holland, the king of the Crown Club, standing at my elbow. Hello, Marlowe. Pretty picture, isn't it? Yeah, if you like ingenues with bags under their eyes. <laughs> I wasn't talking about the one on the wall, detective. I meant Peggy. You were staring, remember? I do. Your move, Holland. <laughs> now, take the chip off your shoulder, Phil. I don't mind if you stare. She gets paid for it. But you pay her. Sure. But also I pay the waiters, the doorman, and so on. That, uh, that was all you were doing, wasn't it? I mean, staring, window shopping. 
I'd hate to think you were here on business. Oh, sensitive, aren't you? <laughs> you know, Marlowe, I've piled up a lot of enemies wrecking in the blue chips. That figures. What are you getting at, Holland? A job I think you might fit. Oh? Uh, let's try the office, if you can spare the time. Can you? Phil? Sure, sure. I've got nothing but time. Ross. <laughs> let's go. As I trailed Holland out of the bar as far as an unmarked heavy oak door, I caught a glimpse of Jack Schiller picking up his hat and coat at the entrance. Operation Mancini was underway. I never get these keys straight, Marlowe. Round key on top, square one on the bottom. <laughs> You'd think I'd remember that, huh? Yeah, the switch to a revolving door. Oh, well, I like my privacy. So do my boys. There. Go on in. Make yourself comfortable. I'll get a couple of drinks going. As I moved into the vault Holland called home, one thought alone stood out in my mind. Every second that mine host wasted was a second that old Jacob Schiller couldn't afford to lose. But finally, when I was just about ready to skip playing it close and take off, Holland came to the point. His proposition that I go to work for his enemies, play spy, and get paid for both parties. That I needed like a weekend in a leaky submarine. Well, that's it, Marlowe. Yes or no? Yes and no, Ross. I'd like to sleep on it. Fair enough? Fair enough. Good night, Phil. Get to bed early, huh? It was all the cue I needed. I bum-joked my way out of his office, hurried through the club to the street, then ran for my car and pointed it for the top of Sweetser Drive in the Hollywood Hills. And the Schiller-George Mancini rendezvous I couldn't afford to miss. The place, which turned out to be bilious green walls under a shocking pink roof, stood out in that conservative neighborhood like a black panther in a snowbank. There was a car parked nearby, and the name on the owner's certificate wrapped around the steering wheel was Jack Schiller, which was no surprise. So when I knocked, I used the barrel of my 38. That was smart of me, but it would have been smarter if I'd pointed it the other way, behind me. Don't move an inch, mister. Oh, fine. And drop your gun right where you stand. Go on. I'll turn around and answer up real fast. What do you want with George Mancini? Nothing. It's you, I... Hey, that blood all over you. What happened in there, Schiller? You didn't kill him for those lousy letters in that envelope under your arm, did you? No, not quite, mister. He isn't dead. But what do you know about me? How come you know my name? Cops. Never mind. Just back off, mister. Fast. Open that door. Go on. Mancini's screaming must have disturbed the neighbors. Listen, Schiller, I'm working for Doc Skip Tom it. and I... Stay shut or you'll wish you had. Now go on. Get in there with him. Or I'll kill you. I only took one look at the unconscious pulp on the floor inside to tell me that George Mancini had tried hard to hang on to the letters. Almost too hard. I rolled him over. He was as limp as a slice of raw bacon, but still alive. I just got his shirt collar loosened up when the door behind me opened again. Easy, partner. Marlowe. Hello, Matthews. A little early for a lieutenant from Homicide. How come they sent you? They didn't. Becker and I were driving by when the call came out over the radio. Oh. One of the neighbors out here heard something and phoned in. Who is he, Marlon? A guy named George Mancini. Uh-huh. Becker, see what you can do for him. Okay, Lieutenant. 
Looks like he soaked up a lot of punishment. He did, but not from me, Matthews. Oh, no? What were you, Marlowe? Referee? Who did it? It was over when I got here. And the guy who did it didn't give me much time to talk. He had a gun. All of which still doesn't answer my question. I don't know his name. His occupation is loving a blonde. Is that why you're here, the blonde? Yeah, more or less. She was afraid of Mancini. He had some letters. Letters, huh? Which are long gone now, no doubt. No doubt. What's the blonde's name? Hey, Lieutenant. Hmm? I think we'd better have an ambulance. This guy is a long ways out. Uh, okay, take care of it, Becker. Yeah, okay. Well, Mallow. Now, look, Matthews. Nothing's actually happened so far but this beating, and it's probably well-deserved. But the situation's touchy. Girl's worried silly. If a name gets mixed up in a thing like this, All she... right, all right. Now, listen to me. I want the guy who dished up this mess. Either that or the whole story down at headquarters. Now, which? Okay, you'll have him. But just give me a little time alone, and I'll deliver him on a platter. Oh, not I again. promise. Oh, come on. It means a lot to me, Matthews. Well, okay, Marlowe. Just see this doesn't blow up in your kisser. And don't get lost, understand? Outside, after I found my gun, I climbed into my car and headed for Peggy Grant's lush apartment house again. When I got there, I parked away from the place and skirted the front entrance. I was sure that by now the pretty face at the switchboard would be well-primed for a tip-off. I went along the side of the building toward the service entrance at the back. The glow of a match from the shadows in an alcove stopped me. It was the turkey neck, Jack Schiller's quick-fisted helpmate, lighting a cigarette. I eased my thirty-eight out and moved toward him. When he finally heard me, he turned. Hey. But by then he was looking right down the muzzle of my gun. Easy, no easy, chum. Still, soul, it's a bad night for seeing old friends, chum. You got me nailed down, brother. You don't have to take my word for nothing. But listen, whatever your angle is, let it rest. Leave the kid alone for a while. Otherwise, you're due for nothing but trouble in large doses. You're kidding. Yeah, you bet I'm always kidding. You got more nerve than brains, buster. You can't pull that twice. Go fry your ears. You're making a clout on the skull almost fun. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. All that stuff spilled on the walk there. It fell out of your pocket, didn't it? Didn't it? So what? So you don't have to say another word, watchdog. I'm beginning to get the whole thing all by myself. Sure. What's more, you yellow jerk? I don't like it! The two small items I'd just seen on the walk made swinging the flat side of my gun butt against his head a distinct pleasure. They also made getting in the service door and up the stairs two at a time to Peggy Grant's apartment a definite gratification. Because now I had a Jim Dandy hunch on exactly what to expect. Come on, princess, open up! Who are you, a cop? Expecting cops, Miss Grant? Not exactly. The milkman doesn't carry a gun, and my friends all use the front door. I'm the informal type. Where's Jack Schiller? Right behind you, Mr. Again. This time, lay your gun on the table. Go on. Sure, sure. You're slightly better than the guy downstairs. I got by him with no trouble at all. What's that? What guy? Why, you mean Peggy didn't tell you about the watchdog? What is this? Go ahead, princess. Tell him about the turkey neck character with orders to keep everybody away while Jack makes a fool of himself. Darling, get this idiot out of here. This is a trick. Why not also tell him who your real boyfriend is, baby? Why, you lousy... You should have learned a little from what happened to that skunk Mancini. Now go on back to him and tell him if he tries anything else like this, I'll go over him again, right from the beginning. My, my. Aren't we spunky tonight? Now look, Schiller, I want you to listen, and I haven't got all night. There's a guy downstairs who was sent out to see that nobody interfered while you played perfect pigeon. It was you who risked getting plugged when you went in after those letters. The ones you were sucker enough not to read. Now it's you who's in a big jam with the police. 
And what's more, I found out that that guy is one of Ross Holland's boys. Oh, you liar, get out of here. Oh, Jack, make him go away, please. Wait a minute. What's Ross Holland got to do with this? Nothing. Nothing, Hal. Lay ten to one those letters were written by Holland, not Dreamboat here. And that they set him up for a squeeze and have nothing whatever to do with her dubious career as a singer. You got any sense, she'll read one. Jack, you gave me your word. Oh, don't be a child, darling. Can't you see what he's trying to do to us? Just take one look at one signature, Jackson. If I'm wrong, you can split my other lip. No, Jack, don't. Get the letters, Peggy. At least I'm going to know who wrote them. All right. If that's the way you want it, Jack, that's the way it'll be. Jack, my gun. No, no, no. Either one of you. Drop it, Jack. I mean it. Peggy. Peggy, what are you doing? Drop that gun. Well, mister, you sure wrecked a lovely setup. Why, I don't know. But it won't do you any good. I'm leaving and I'm taking these letters with me. And it's true what he said. Of course it's true, all of it. These letters were written by Ross Harlan back when Mancini was his partner. And they're loaded. With them, Mancini could cut himself in for half of every cent Ross had. And Ross couldn't trust anyone but me to get them back for him. Stay where you are. Don't feel too bad, Jackie boy. You have to live to learn. Maybe you won't be a dope all your life. Peggy, you better go. Oh, shut up. You were right, so you made your point. Now, whatever your reason was, get it out of here and leave me alone. Oh, no. I haven't been monkeying in your corny affairs just for laughs, Sonny. I was hired to find you by Doc Tallman. Doc Tallman? Oh, that nosy old goat. Why? Your father's in town. He's had a heart attack, a bad one. My father? Yeah. He wants to see you. I told Doc Tallman I'd bring you back, and that's what I'm going to do regardless. Now, get going. Come in. I finally got Jack, Doc. Here he is. Hello, Doctor. Where's my father? Uh, back in the bedroom. But... I'll go right in and see him. Uh, Jack. What? What is it? What, what's the matter? Jack, your father's dead. He passed away 20 minutes ago. Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. Dead? Oh, Pop. Pop. Here, my boy. Sit down. 20 minutes. Just about the time it took to beat a chiseler out of a bunch of letters and argue with a cheap two-timing blonde. Try to get hold of yourself, my boy. We knew you'd have come if you could have. Your father's last thoughts were of you, son. He was very proud of oh, you. Don't, Doc, please. Uh, <clears throat> I'll run along, Doc. I got a phone call to oh, make. Oh, I... wait a minute, Marlowe. Huh? You, you can't leave thinking like you do. Not now, with Pop dead. I... I don't know what happened to me these last few weeks. I can't understand how I got in so deep. She had me, I guess. I'd have done anything she asked. You're not the first guy that's happened to. I doubt that you'll be the last. Yeah, but I've got to square myself now. I've got to. And I want to start with the police. You really mean that? I never met anything more in my life. I'm not really a wise guy, honest. So what's this about the police? Oh, I'm in a jam, Dr. Tom, and a pretty bad one. Because, because you I... got too much nerve and too much energy. All you need is the right place to spend them. That gives me an idea. Is Jack your real name? No, it, it, it's really Jakob, like my old man's. Oh. Doc, where's that plane reservation for Jacob Schiller? Here. I have it right here. Wait a minute. You mean... Yeah, you... yeah, you're catching that plane. With luck, you may make it all the way. Oh, but you're letting me go, Marlowe. You'll be in a jam yourself. Well, I think I know a pair of strong shoulders I can dump the responsibility onto. Let's go, kid. Flight 17 to New York, now loading at gate 5. 
Well, that's the story to hear, Matthews. Uh-huh. And just whose shoulders did you have in mind of that responsibility business? You're wearing them, you lug. Yeah. Oh, give me that napkin, will you? Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, just tell me something else to make it all nice and tight. That turkey neck character, how did you know he worked for Ross Holland? Oh, well, when I slugged him in back of Peggy Grant's apartment house, a lot of junk fell out of his pocket, including a pair of keys on a chain. One had a round head, the other one was square. Oh, duplicates of that set that opened Holland's double-locked office, huh? Uh-huh. Tight enough, Lieutenant? Yeah, tight enough. Last call for flight 17 to New York. Now loading at gate 5. They, uh... They just called a, a New York flight, Phil. Yeah. Last call. Yeah. You know, I, I hear they're doing great things over there in Israel. Yeah. Building farms right out of the desert land. That kind of stuff. That's right. They, uh... They can use all the help they can get, I understand. I was raised on a farm, did you know? <laughs> Keeps you so busy you don't have time to get in trouble. Hey, Marlo. Sit down, I'll buy you another cup of coffee. Thanks, Lieutenant. Thanks a lot. Watch the plane take off, swing in heavy, thundering grace, and head east. I guess we were both thinking the same thing. Two Jacob Schillers were on their way to the fulfillment of a promise. The old and the new promised land. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, presented by Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, bring you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and star, Gerald Moore. Philip Marlowe is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the transcribed cast were Jack Edwards, June Foray, Larry Dobkin, Harold Dierenforth, Jack Crucian, Lynn Allen, and Stan Waxman. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Next week, Philip Marlowe will be heard on Friday evening. So we invite you to be with us next week on Friday when Philip Marlowe says... This time I found an old friend in the morgue. Watched a man with a burned hand die in a quiet garden. And listened to a pathetic killer give up. All because a little glass donkey came to town. This is Bob Stevenson speaking, and this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. That one was first broadcast July 19, 1950 on CBS, and the name of it was The Last Wish. Very fitting name. You know, 1950, Israel... It was reestablished as a country, I believe it's 1948. So this was a very new country, and a lot of uh, Jewish people wanted to return to Israel. 
especially after all of the events of World War II, and have their own homeland there. And so this was, uh, this was very timely to think about what was going on in people's minds when this uh, was first introduced back in 1950. I love the writing on Philip Marlowe. There was a couple of things in here that I thought was pretty good. He was describing the fellow in the lobby. He says, uh, the only person in the plush lobby was a tall man with a red turkey neck and a toothpick and cigarettes stuffed in one corner of his mouth. <laughs> that sounds like Raymond Chandler. That was pretty good. And then when he was describing the uh, female singer uh, in the bar, he says uh, he was with a girl who was almost dressed in something strapless and spangled. I love those descriptions. Well, that's why we call that Radio Noir. So we'll have more Philip Marlowe in the weeks ahead. We always do. It's one of our favorite shows. And uh, I hope that you agree with me on that. Talking to myself and feeling old Sometimes I'd like to quit Nothing ever seems to fit Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays always get me drowned What I Call the blues Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong Walking around Some kind of lonely cloud Rainy days and Mondays Always get me down Funny but it seems I Wind up here with you Nice to know somebody loves me Funny but it seems that it's the only thing to do Run and find the one who loves me What I feel is come and gone before no need to talk it out We know what it's all about Hanging around Nothing to do but cry Rainy days and wonders always get me
Uh, that was the haunting voice of Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters. That was a Paul Williams song, Rainy Days and Mondays. I just thought that would be appropriate because on our Comedy Corner tonight, we're going to have an episode of a show that's talking about a rainy day. In fact, let's get the Comedy Corner started right now. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. So this week on the Comedy Corner, we are going to go back to a show that baby boomers remember very, very vividly. I should imagine from when we were kids. Again, probably from television. But we have an episode of Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young. Now, he had a whole different gang of individuals that played his family in the radio version. But it still sounds pretty good. This one was originally broadcast on March the 25th, 1954. And it's all about a family that lives inside the white frame house on Maple Street in Springfield. And, of course, Springfield was always the town they used uh, to represent any town USA because almost every state had a Springfield. Some of the more dominant ones are, you know, Springfield, Massachusetts, Springfield, uh, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, Ohio. I mean, there's a lot of states that have a Springfield. This is a good episode. This is uh, sort of an episode about nothing. It's entitled Rainy Day Activity. And it's just about a rainy day at the house and the interaction between the family. The Father Knows Best uh, didn't always hit the ball out of the park on their radio shows. But this one, I think, is pretty good. They do a really nice job of misdirection through, uh, well, there's a place in the second part of the show, you'll hear it when he's trying to save a cat, where they do a nice job of having several conversations going on at once. And it becomes very funny to hear his reactions. So anyway, here is Robert Young in Father Knows Best Rainy Day Activity from March 1954. Now listen to Father Knows Best, transcribed starring Robert Young as Father. Welcome to Springfield and another half-hour visit with the folks in the white frame house on Maple Street. Sit back and enjoy life with the Andersons, Kathy, Bud, Betty, Margaret, and Jim, as the head of this typical American household again sets out to prove that father knows best. raining this morning in Springfield, one of those steady downpours that looks like it's going to last all day. And out in the white frame house on Maple Street, 
The head of the Anderson family parts the curtains at the front window, surveys the weather, and then makes a pronouncement. Like this. Margaret. Yes, dear? This is a perfect day to stay home. Do a few things around the house. Maybe have a fire in the fireplace. Well, fine, dear. I thought I'd keep the children home from school today. Kathy's on the verge of a cold, and both Bud and Betty were coughing all last night. Yeah, it's a good idea to keep them home in weather like this. And it'll be kind of pleasant, having a rainy day at home with all the family. Hey, Mom, can I have Joe come over? His mom's keeping him out of school today. Bud, you're staying in bed, remember? There's nothing to do up there. Well, rest. That's what you're supposed to do. Can I have something to eat? You had your breakfast. Get a book and read or something. Look at that rain come down. Oh, I'm just going to stretch out in this chair. Might catch up on some reading myself. Mother! What is it, Betty? Bud's jumping on his bed. <laughs> Bud? Okay. For Pete's sake, who's at the door? I'll go. Here's the mail, Miss Jackson. Oh, thank you. Who was it? Oh, that was our nice mailman. Oh. Anything besides bills? Hmm. Letter from me. Looks like Cousin Millie's handwriting. Nothing for me? No. No, this is all. Who was at the door? Just the mailman. Why are you staying home, Father? Oh, just thought it'd be a good day to stay home. How do you feel? I feel fine. Mother, I think I'll rearrange my closet today. Uh, all right. Father, do you think you could find another clothes pole for my closet? The one that's in there is sagging. It's practically fractured. Well, there's no point in getting another pole in there. You just have too many clothes, that's all. But that's the worst part of it. I haven't a thing to wear. We'll discuss it later. You go up and start cleaning out. I have one dress, maybe, or two at the most that I'd be seen in. Uh, this is a very interesting letter from Cousin Millie. Oh? How are things going in that branch of the family? The relatives still fighting? Dear, do you remember hearing of Uncle Dudley? Well, there used to be a lot of jokes about a character called Uncle Dudley. I don't recall that we ever had a relative by that name. Why? Well, it seems we do have an Uncle Dudley. Who says so? Cousin Millie. Hmm? I can't figure out from her letter what branch of the family he comes from, but apparently he's quite well off. Well, he can't be in our family. <laughs> she says he is. Cousin Clara wrote to Millie that Uncle Dudley had appeared at her house. From what I gather, he's making the rounds of all of his relatives. Well, that sounds more like someone on our family tree. <laughs> if there's one thing they do well, it's drop in for visits. Sounds like he's rather eccentric. Well, he's part of our family, all right. <laughs> Millie says he's trying to decide who to leave his money to. Oh? Tell me more about this fine old gentleman. <laughs> Oh, he must be quite a character Came to Clara's house with no advance notice whatsoever Didn't say who he was or anything, he just appeared By the time they found out who he was It seems they'd done something to displease him and he left again Hmm, Uncle Dudley Wonder if he's the old duffer Aunt Sylvia mentioned when she was here The one who struck oil down in Texas Search me, I'm sure I've never seen him Millie, in her letter here, says she thinks the reason he's looking over his relatives is that he had a very unhappy childhood. 
had a father who made his life miserable. I don't get it. Not too clear to me, either. Well, we certainly had some odd people among our relatives. I wonder if he's on your side of the family or mine. Well, it couldn't be on my side. <laughs> Honey, uh, where's the last issue of the National Geographic? Isn't it there with the magazine? Oh, yeah, here we are. Oh, this is the kind of a day to read about faraway places. Wonderful article here on the life of the blue whale. Well, while you chase the blue whale, I'll chase the breakfast dishes. Oh, uh, need some help? No, thanks, dear. Uh, Uncle Dudley. <laughs> Cousin Millie must have dreamed all that. Tracking the blue whale in iceberg land. Dad, is it okay if I come down here with you? Did Mother say you were supposed to be lying down? I'll lie down on the floor. <laughs> All right, but uh, keep yourself warm. Hey, here's an ad in the classified section. 70-foot schooner for sale or trade. How about that, Dad? How about what? A 70-foot schooner. We could get it and sail around the world. Oh, sure. Do it some Saturday. <laughs> no kidding. It says for sale or trade. We wouldn't have to buy it. We could trade him something for it. Oh, but don't get started on one of those crazy ideas again. Well, we could. We could trade him our house for it. We wouldn't need the house if we were sailing around the world. We are not trading this house for a schooner. How about an island? But I'm trying to read. There's a guy here who has a whole island. Where? In the Pacific Ocean. Well, good. Now we know exactly where it is. Says, we'll trade for real estate or good used car. No. We could trade him our car. It's used. Probably wouldn't need the car on the island anyway. But stop reading those ads. And don't scatter the paper all over the floor. Somebody has to pick that up, you know. Father, look at this pile of junk. Now, these are my clothes. Just look, there isn't a single solitary thing here that I can wear. Uh, Betty, I don't think this is quite the time to discuss clothes with your father. You haven't got a chance to, Lou. I'll tell you that right now. But pick up the papers. I am, I am. Now, Princess, if you take that pile of dresses for which I am sure I spent a small fortune, not more than a week ago, back to your closet... Dresses? I'll... Look, there's nothing here. Nothing. Nothing? What's that green thing there? That's a dress. That? I wouldn't wear it to a pig fight. Well, I'm not going to buy you any dresses today So you may as well take the whole bunch back upstairs And hang them in your closet Do as your father says, Betty I can't hang them in my closet The clothes pole's broken and father won't fix it I didn't say I wouldn't fix it Well, it isn't fixed Look, everybody, please I sat down here hoping to spend a few minutes Just quietly reading Come on, Betty Bud, you find something to do in your room I'll fix the clothes pole in Betty's closet Can I use your tools, Dad? Nothing doing. I'm not going to have you sawing up my closet. Daddy, come quick. Oh, no. What now? There's a poor old cat on top of the garage, and he can't get down. Well, let him stay there. He can get down if he wants. I'll be careful with the tools, Dad. There's a pole in the garage. You can't go out to the garage in this rain. The poor cat's out in the rain. He's getting all wet. Daddy! I don't know why I can't have anything to wear. Other girls have nice things. You have more clothes than any girl in town. All right, all right, all right. Let's break it up. Everybody scatter. Children, go, 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 go. I can't even talk to I'm father. I'm not going to hurt the tool. Poor old cat out there, wet and cold. 
Well, finally. What's come over the children, anyway? It's nothing, dear. I stay home from the office one day and they descend on me like a pack of lions. Do this, do that, give me this, give me that. Well, it's a rainy day, dear. They're at loose ends. I think I'll sit down for a minute. Hand me that garden magazine, will you, dear? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Ugh. Where did the uh, children go? I don't know. To their rooms, I guess. Why? Nothing. I just wondered. Do you think we should put in some new rose bushes along the drive this spring? Just because it's a rainy day and I happen to be at home, there's no reason to get completely out of hand. You know, some morning glories might look nice by the side porch. They have to learn to have some consideration for other people. This would be a good time to order if we're going to put them in. I wasn't being unreasonable. I'm always willing to talk to the children. Dear, I was asking you about the flowers. Margaret, you weren't listening to me. Well, what were you saying? Nothing. I was just wondering if... Betty! Betty! Yes, Father? Uh... Did you call me? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> well, I won't bother you. You go ahead with your reading. Where are you going? In the dining room. I have some mending to do. Honey, you don't have to leave. I... Oh, me. Bud. Bud! Yes, sir? You didn't have to leave the room... Just because I'm reading in here, you, you don't have to leave. Thanks. Uh, don't you want to sit down? Read or something? No. I'll find something to do upstairs. Well, you don't have to, bud. You can stay down here. No, that's okay. <laughs> Kathy. Where are you, kitten? In the den. What are you doing? Nothing. Watching the poor old cat. Why don't you come in here? I'd rather stay in here. Darn kids. (laughs) The blue whales of iceberg land. Ah. Margaret? In the dining room, dear. Mind if I come in? No, of course not. What's the matter? Honey, uh... Did it seem to you that I was a little rough on the children? Not necessarily. You wanted to read, and they were interrupting you. Honey, I'm afraid that without realizing it, I've let myself become a a bad-tempered monster. (laughs) You're one of the nicest monsters I ever met. Remember what Cousin Millie said in her letter about Uncle Dudley, the reason he's such a strange, eccentric old guy? He hated his father. I don't want that to happen to our children. No, we certainly don't want them striking oil in Texas. (laughs) Well, it's a strange thing. The realization hit me just a minute ago. Sitting in there, I I suddenly felt so alone. Dear, it's just a rainy day, that's all. Rainy day, nothing. By George, from now on, I'm going to take an entirely different attitude toward the kids. I've said my last unkind word. 
After all, what are we here for but to give the children a start in life? Give them love and understanding. Yes, dear. Childhood is such a few short years. Why shouldn't we make them happy years? No reason at all. Well, starting right now, I'm going to lean over backwards to be the kind of a father that children want me to be. Fine, dear. You lean backwards. But just be careful you don't tip over. Well, a rainy day in Springfield has produced at least one rather interesting development in the Anderson household. We always thought Jim Anderson was a pretty good father all the way around. But this morning, Jim himself concluded that he'd been anything but a good father. Now, a conclusion like this can be a frightening thing and can also produce some startling results. Witness what is taking place in the white frame house right now. Bud! Betty! Kathy! What do you want, Dad? Where are you, Father? In the den. Come on in, all of you. What have we done now, Daddy? <laughs> Nothing at all, kitten. I just want to talk to you. What is it, Father? Uh, sit down, Princess. We're going to have a little talk. What is this? A little meeting, bud. First of all, I want to apologize to you kids for the way I spoke to you a while ago. You didn't say anything. Well, that's very nice of you, bud. I don't know what you're talking about, Father. Me neither. Well, I'm sure you do know, and you're trying to spare my feelings. The point is, kids, I realize that for some time now, I, I've been pretty hard to get along with. I, I've been a very unsympathetic father. What's unsympathetic? <laughs> get lost. Is that what it means? Have you been lost, Daddy? <laughs> Be quiet, shrimp. Now, Princess, let's all try to be kind. Kathy didn't understand, so we'll explain to her. What I meant, kitten, is that Daddy is going to try harder to be gentle and understanding and helpful to you and Bud and Betty. I think I've fallen into the bad habit of saying no much more often than yes, and without thinking. What are you leading up to, Father? Well, just this, Princess. From now on, I want all three of you to come to me with any problem you may have. Nothing is more important to me than helping you. So, let's just say we're starting a new chapter, and that I'm going to try to be a better father from now on. Why, that's very sweet of you, Father. Yeah, I'll say. Now, what would you like me to do? How can I help you? I've got a problem, Daddy. All right, kitten, what is it? We'll have it straightened out in a minute. Will you get that poor old cat off the garage floor? The uh, cat? Dad, I got an idea. Let's not buy a boat. Let's build one. Well, we can certainly think about that, bud. After he gets the cat, I was first. You could certainly help me, Father. There's a lot of clothes in one of the trunks, and I thought first that if First he's I... going to help me start the boat. First he's going to help me with the cat. Now... Wait, easy, kids. I'll have to take one at a time. I'll get around to all of you, but Kathy was first. Now, uh, about this cat, uh, don't you think he's... He's sitting on top of the garage and he can't get down and he's wet. Daddy, you've got to hurry. Well, all right. 
We'll get Mr. Cat off the garage. I'll put on my raincoat, and we'll have him down in no time. I'll put on my raincoat and help you, Daddy. Me too. Uh, uh, give me mine, will you, Dan? I'll be upstairs when you finish, Father. All right, Princess. Uh, uh. Come on, kids. What's this? You're going out in the rain? This is Operation Cat Rescue. Daddy's helping us with everything. But why? He said he was lost. <laughs> I'm being what a father should be. Should have done this long ago. Come on, Kathy, bud. That poor old cat's getting wet out there. Be careful of that cat, Jim. He's not friendly. He will be. We have a new policy around here. To make a friend, you've got to be a friend. Boy, it's raining cats and dogs. That cat didn't come down with the rain. A dog chased him up there. Uh, get the ladder from beside the garage, bud, and uh, set it up. You think it's going to read? Sure. Come on, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. I don't think he knows you, Daddy. <laughs> He's giving me kind of a dirty look. Here's the ladder, Dad. Oh, all right. Now, uh, you steady it while I go up. Uh, here, kitty. Nice, kitty, 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 kitty. Look out, Dad. He's coming at you. Hey, that. He's down, Daddy, right in the garage. You scared him, Daddy. I scared him. <laughs> he ran right over me. Well, at least he's down and safe in the garage. <clears throat> Let's get in the house. Look at him, Daddy. He's climbed up on top of the car. Oh, get off that car, you silly cat. Big old muddy feet all over the top. Talk like that right to his face. We've got to get him off the car, bud. You uh, go around the other side and I'll shoo him from here. Go on, cat. Scat. You scared him, Daddy. Now he's up in the rafters. Get him down, Daddy. He'll catch cold up there. He's all right up there. Don't leave him, Daddy. Get him down, please. All right, all right. Uh... Move that box over here, bud. I'll stand up on the workbench. Maybe I can climb from there up on that pile of trunk. Hey, Dad, the garage here would be a good place to build our boat. Bud, don't talk about boats now. Brace this pile of trunk so it doesn't fall over. Anybody out here? What? Jim Anderson? Who's there? I can't see you. You're against the light. Uh, building inspector. Well, I can't come down right now. I'm trying to catch a cat. Oh, go right ahead. Daddy's helping me. The cat's name is Cookie. He was on top of the garage and he got wet. So I see. Father, are you in here? Yes, Princess. The cat's up here in the rafters, trying to get him down for Kathy. Oh, excuse me. I didn't see you. Uh, building inspector. Oh. I think I can reach him if these trunks will hold. Come on, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Kitty, 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 kitty. Uh, I'll be with you in a minute, mister. Oh, take your time. We could put the bow of the boat right in here, Dad. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Father, kitty, kitty. while you're up there, could you get down that big trunk? Yes, Princess, as soon as I get this cat down. Come on, kitty. Don't back away. I'm next after Kathy. Dad's going to help me plan the boat, aren't you, Dad? Yes, bud, we'll plan the boat. Uh, mister, will you push that plank up here so I can reach a little higher? Oh, sure. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I, 
Promise to help the youngsters. Take your time. As soon as we get the cat down, we're going to give him a bath, aren't we, Daddy? Uh, uh, we'll see. Come here, kitty. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Come on. Daddy, do you like the name Cookie for a cat? Yes, that's a good name. Come here, kitty, 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 kitty. Cookie. How about the name Windjammer? For the cat? No, for a boat. <laughs> How about 15 feet? That ought to be long enough, don't you think, Dad? Yes, I think so. Uh, get hold of my foot and give me a boost there, will you, mister? Oh, sure. Up you go. Yeah. Ouch! Ooh, splitters. You better be careful, Mr. Anderson. That rafter looks shaky. Here, kitty, kitty. Come here, cat. Jim, you're wanted on the telephone. I'll be there in a minute, honey. Uh, see if you can shoo the cat this way. He keeps backing up. They didn't say who it was, just wanted to talk to you. Oh, I beg your pardon. A building inspector. Flat or round bottom? Oh. <laughs> Talking to you, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> See if you can get a broom or something and move him this way. He keeps backing up. Flat or round bottom, Dad? Uh, round, I guess, bud. It sounded like Mr. Jeffers on the phone. He's waiting, dear. All right, Margaret. Uh, could you just reach over and open the trunk, Father? Well, I don't think I can right now, Princess. I'm holding on here by the skin of my teeth. Call the cat, somebody. Maybe she'll move. Another inch and I'll get hold of her tail. It isn't her. It's a hen cat. Well, I beg his pardon. <laughs> Should I tell him to wait, dear? Who, the cat? <laughs> Mr. Jeffers. Oh, I'll, I'll be there in a minute, honey. Uh, could I help you with something? Nope, just the building inspector. Your husband's a busy man. Yes. <gasps> oh, oh, look out, Jim. Out, out. <laughs> Off of oh, him. oh, that was a bad fall. Daddy, are you alive? <laughs> yes, I think so. Father, you shouldn't have been up there. You should have watched it, Dad. The cat came down, too. He might have been hurt. <laughs> I think he came out of it all right. Are you all right, Father? Yes, a few scratches, but nothing broken. You were lucky. You certainly were. Well, at least we got the trunk down. Help me open it, bud. Hey, look at the jaw. Oh, boy, good stuff. Well, I suppose there's no point in your trying to answer the phone now. They probably hung up. I'll call Jeffers back. And now, uh, Mr. Building Inspector, what can I do for you? Well, after what I've just seen here, I think everything is quite acceptable. <laughs> well, I don't understand that. The rafter of the garage broke. I should think from a building inspector's point of view No, that... no, no, everything's fine. Here's your slip of approval. Well, thank you. And uh, may I say, Mr. Anderson, you have my most sincere admiration. Good day. Good day. He was a strange fellow. <laughs> Appeared from nowhere. What does it say on the slip of approval? Well, listen to this. 
On this rainy day in Springfield, I have at long last found a man of great patience and deep love for his children. My search has ended. You will all be remembered most generously in my will, for you truly deserve it. Signed affectionately, your Uncle Dudley. <laughs> Well, the rain clouds have cleared and the stars shine bright tonight over Springfield. Been quite a day around the Anderson household, but the quiet of late evening now has settled over the white frame house. Uncle Dudley. Imagine him appearing as a building inspector. Oh, I almost wish we hadn't mentioned it to the children. They're already thinking about oil wells. Oh, they'll forget it. That was really the least important thing that happened today. Well, I'm not sure about that. I probably carried the patience thing a little too far, chasing that darn cat and all. But it's so true, honey. We do have to check up on ourselves once in a while to be sure we're giving the children the understanding they need. It's something we shouldn't forget. I wonder if we'll ever see Uncle Dudley again. I wonder. You know, from now on, every time the doorbell rings, we'll sort of expect to see him back again. Mysterious man. Well? I'll go, dear. Oh? Uh, just a moment. Who is it, honey? It's a little girl from down the street. She wants to know if you'll help her. Her cat's on top of the garage. <laughs> NBC has brought you Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson. Father Knows Best is an NBC Radio Network production in cooperation with Cavalier Enterprises. In our cast were Helen Strom as Kathy, Gene Vanderpile, Rhoda Williams, and Ted Donaldson. Father Knows Best is based on characters created by Ed James, written by Paul West and Roswell Rogers, directed by Arthur Jacobson, and transcribed in Hollywood. Hear the thrills, excitement, and surprises of the Academy Awards tonight on the NBC Radio Network. From March 25, 1954's originally heard on NBC, that was Father Knows Best, and the name of that episode was Rainy Day Activity. Remember when the mailman was a big deal? Having mail delivered to your house was exciting. People said back in the 50s, if you interviewed families, often the response would be to the question, what do you look forward to most during each and every day? One of the top responses was receiving mail. And yet now today, we, we don't get anything in the mail that is of any consequence, right? The reason I brought that up is the mailman brought the mail there to the Andersons, and it was a big deal. And right away, you know, everybody wants to know if they got something. When Carol and I were dating, we had a long relationship, long distance relationship. I was in Brooklyn. She was in Illinois. And so letters were it because back then, telephone calls, long distance calls were very expensive and neither one of us had any money to speak of. 
So we would send letters back and forth, and getting those letters was a very big deal. That was, of course, before emails and Skypes and PCs, really. I was just thinking about that. Mail was always a very big deal. Now the only thing we get in the mail are ads. We don't even get bills in the mail anymore because everything comes online. I knew a lot of people that went into foreign assignments in missionary work, and it was such a sacrifice for them because they were, truly were leaving family and friends and going sometimes, you know, halfway around the world to third world countries. And the only way that they could really correspond with their family back home was through the mail. And sometimes the mail was very slow. A letter might take a week or more to get from one destination to the other. Now they have Skype and you could see each other and talk to each other. Certainly make it easier. Certainly would have made Carol and I's long-distance romance easier. Or more complicated. Who knows? Uh, Let me see. At at one point, uh, Jim told Bud he can't go out to the garage in this rain. Now, these days, every house that is built has an attached garage. But when we were growing up in the 50s, most of the houses, at least in Southern California where I grew up, did not have attached garages. They were detached garages. And uh, my parents' house was that. The house I grew up in was like that. We had alleys, too. A lot of the uh, the, uh, garages had access through alleys. And the trash pickup and and whatnot all took place in alleys. They don't even design neighborhoods with alleys anymore, at least not not very often. I can remember that. If it was a rainy day and my mom had her washer and dryer out in the garage, uh, she couldn't very well do laundry because it was uh, too difficult to go out to the garage in the rain. Or if you were going someplace in the car, you would get wet going out to the garage in the rain. I guess attached garages are nicer in in some ways, but I don't know. It was kind of nice having the garage sort of in the backyard where it didn't dominate the, the look of the house. Anyway, that was Father Knows Best. Hope you liked that. And uh, did you notice at the end that on that date, March 24th, in or March 25th, 1954, that evening the Academy Awards were coming on, and they were going to be on NBC. When you listen to the Academy Awards presentation tonight on this NBC radio station, you'll hear Donald O'Connor as your Master of Ceremonies, Richard Carlson as radio commentator, the voices of Dean Martin, Anne Blythe, Connie Russell, and Mitzi Gaynor singing the Academy Award-nominated songs. And, of course, when you listen, you'll hear the acceptance speeches of the Oscar winners. Be sure to keep tuned for the complete word picture of the event on this same NBC radio station. The NBC microphones are located not only in Hollywood, but also in New York and Philadelphia to bring you all of the story that is the Academy Awards. When you listen on this station, you'll be the first to know through radio. And just in case you're wondering, the Academy Awards that year were held at the Pantages Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And the big winners that night, William Holden won Best Actor for Stalag 17. Uh, Frank Sinatra won Best Supporting Actor for From Here to Eternity. Audrey Hepburn won Best Actress for Roman Holiday. Donna Reed, Best Supporting Actress for From Here to Eternity. Best Documentary was The Living Desert. Walt Disney Productions. Uh, Directing, Fred Zinneman won Best Director for From Here to Eternity. And then the Best Motion Picture was From Here to Eternity. So a very big night. And here is the song that won Best Song from a Motion Picture on that night. And it was from the Motion Picture Calamity Jane. 
And the name of this song is Secret Love. I had a secret love That lived within the heart of me All too soon my secret love Became impatient to be Beautiful, beautiful tune that is. You know, I was just online looking at uh, a chat room where this song was being discussed, and they they had a recording of it. And some of the comments that people left, very touching, especially for baby boomers. Here's one. It says, I was only 16 years old the first time I heard this song. 
and of course I had just met someone. I married the man that I sang this song to, and we had 58 years together. I lost him just three months ago. Another one says, I once had a secret love in high school. We danced the last dance at the prom, but I was soon drafted, and when I got back, she was married. But I'll love you forever, Lynn. Then another one said, this was one of my mother's favorite songs, and now she's laid to rest with my dad as of November 14th, 2016. Rest in peace, Mum. I love you with all my heart. Those comments were just, uh, just so touching. And it just reminds us that very few things can touch feelings that are buried deep inside of us more than a song. I will remember you Will you
It was Sarah McLaughlin. And I will remember you. William Conrad. There's double-barreled action for you this week. Tonight, Gunsmoke. Saturday night, Gunsmoke again. At the end of tonight's show, I'll give you the details. That music means it is time for us to travel back in time, back to 1874, the place is the Old West. We're in Dodge City, Kansas, and we are walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon, maintaining law and order in a wild western town. Along the way, we're no doubt going to meet up with Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. Well, we have a good episode this week. It was first broadcast on the 27th of September in 1954, and it's entitled Helping Hand. The story involves a young man by the name of Steve Eltz, just 18 years old, and Matt saves him from a lynch mob. He's suspected of cattle rustling, but Matt sees something in the young man that he believes in, and so he goes to bat for him, gives him a helping hand, try to get him a job and to get his life straightened out. But as the story continues, we start questioning, was Matt's faith well-placed, or is there no turning back for this young gunslinger? As I said, it was originally broadcast in September of 1954, so here is Gunsmoke and Helping Hand. Smoke. 
Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. I swear, Mr. Dillon, it seems like we've been riding with that cottonwood grove the last two hours. Well, that's because you started thinking about it before you even saw it, Chester. It's water I've been thinking about. I won't never make it to Dodge without water. You'll make it. Not saying I won't. Wait a minute, Chester. Look over there. Hmm. Who are they? What are they doing in there? Well, the man on the paint horse is Bill Pence, Emmett Bauer's foreman. The other two must be riders of his. Yeah, but that kid they've got... Look, his hands is tied behind his back. Now, they haven't seen us yet, Chester. Let's ride closer. What's Pence taking down his rope for? What? Well, Mr. Dillon, you know what they're doing? Yeah, only they're not going to do it. Uh, they've seen us now. Hello, Pence. What are you doing out here, Marshal? I'm on my way into Dodge. Does Bowers know what's going on out here? Marshal, I'm foreman of this outfit. Emmett Bowers don't question how I handle things. Whose horse is that kid sitting on? What? The boy there. Is that his horse? Well, yeah, it's his horse. Why? Chester. Yes, sir? Go untie his hands. Hey, wait a minute, Go Marshal. on, Chester. And if anybody interferes with you, I'll shoot him. Okay, Mr. Dillon. You're making trouble, Marshal. Pence, you know me. You know I won't stand for lynching. And you know I'll kill you if I have to. Yeah, I think you would. But this still ain't none of your business, Marshal. I caught that boy. I don't care what you caught him trying to do. I'm taking him into Dodge, and if you want to ride in and make your charges against him legally, he'll be there. And you can thank your luck I came by here before you got your own neck in a noose. Because I'd have caught you for this, Pence, and I'd have followed you to California for it. Now you get out of here, all three of you. Oh, morning, Justin. Morning, Mr. Dillon. How's the boy this morning? Fine. Except he's wondering when you're going to turn him loose. 
Well, I saw Emmett Bowers and Bill Pence riding up the street when I came in. Maybe we'll learn the truth about all this now. The boy swears he ain't lying. Yeah, maybe he isn't. Now here they come. Marshal Dillon. Chester. Morning, Mr. Bowers. Hello, Bowers. Pence. I told Mr. Bowers the whole story, Marshal. Did you? He did, Marshal. What you called a lynching wasn't going to be no lynching at all. No? No. It was just a hanging. Pence and them two riders of mine caught that fella trying to run off a bunch of my cattle. That's cattle thieving, Marshal, and where I come from, that's a hanging offense. The law, Bowers. The law decides who hangs and who doesn't. The law is too slow. Now, cow thieves has got to be hung when you catch I them. told you yesterday, Pence, you'll lynch anybody out there, and I'll come after you. I don't care what you call it. I'm not going to argue about this, gentlemen. We'll worry about that later. Right now, I want to know what you're going to do with that thief. Well, I haven't decided yet, Bowers. But I'll tell you what he told me. I ain't interested in what he told you. Listen, anyway. He said he didn't steal any cows, and what's more, he wasn't going to. Well, that's a lie, Marshal. Me and the men watched him cut 15 head out. And then did he leave them and start to ride away, or didn't he? Oh, well, sure, he started to ride away. He either seen this or... Or he was coming back and drive him off at night, one or the other. He says he changed his mind. He realized he couldn't do it even though he started to. You believe oh. a thieving kid rather than a man like Bill Pence, Marshal? I don't know who I believe yet, Bowers. Let's get out of here, Pence. Yes, sir. Marshal Dillon, I'll be mighty interested in what you decide to do about this. So will every other cattleman I know of. I want to talk to that boy, Chester. You can drive back there waiting. Oh, Marshal. Unlock the cell, Chester. Yes, sir. You said your name's Steve Elser. Is that true? I got no reason to lie about my name, Marshal. Well, where are you from? San Juan Mountains, Marshal. Over in Colorado. What are you doing in Kansas? I'm 18. I figured it was time to leave home. Why? I'd have killed my pa or he'd have killed me if I'd stayed. Yeah. He ain't let me sleep in the house since I was 10, Marshal. Sometimes you don't even let my ma sleep in the house. Why not? Oh, nothing my pa does makes much sense. I think he got his brains knocked loose about ten years back. Time a grizzly bear slapped him in the head. It most like to kill him. And I wished it had. I see. Tell me about those cattle of Emmett Bowers, Elter. You admit you started to steal them. Oh, shucks, I'd have never done it, Marshal. Not really. I was just kind of... Seeing how easy it'd be. Well, you found out. Pence and his riders were watching you the whole time. I know. They told me. Well, there's one thing about you. At least you don't carry a gun. Maybe I'd better. No. Look, Elsa, I believe you. And I'm going to turn you loose. But on one condition. What's that? That you get a job. Work at it. Prove you're honest. I'm going to give you a week to find one. Oh, Marshal, I've been working all my life. I'm tired. I'll give you a week, Elsa. And if you don't have a job by then, 
You're going to have to leave the country. Evening, Matt. Oh, sit on, Doc. Oh, thank you, thank you, Matt. Oh, my. The street looks pretty quiet tonight. Oh, it's early yet, Doc. Uh-huh. Oh, see, Chester was telling me about that boy, uh, Elson. Yeah. yeah. I hope I was right turning him loose this morning. Uh-huh. Well, Matt, it sounds to me like he, he's one of those fellows that's just about to go bad. A push one way or the other can make the whole difference. Well, I guess it's worth a chance, Doc. Yeah, most all of us have had a little help somewhere along the way. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be nothing but thieves and crooks walking around. <laughs> I bet you did, Matt. Or you wouldn't be trying to help this boy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, he didn't steal those cows. <laughs> no, but he came a lot closer to it than a man should, Doc. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Oh, hello, Doc. Good evening, Chester. You better step in the aisle for gander, Mr. Dillon. Pence is in there about to have a fight with young Elser. What? Not a gunfight. Elser ain't armed. But he's making Pence awful mad. I will see you later, Doc. So long, Matt. What's Elser up to, Chester? Well, sir, he's been bragging to Pence about his not getting the hang in, about not being in jail and all. It ain't improving Pence's temper none. Uh, oh, hello, Marshal. Uh, hello, John. Is Elser drunk? Well, he's been drinking, but he ain't drunk. Well, he won't find a job hanging around saloons. No, sir. Over there at the bar, Mr. Dillon. Now, you just shut up and get yourself out of here, little thief. I ain't a thief. I ain't a murderer either, Pence. Oh, I told you for the last time, else, All right, that's enough, Pence. Don't kick him. Well, then throw him in jail where he belongs, Marshal. I just ain't gonna listen to his talk. You don't have to. I'll handle him. You'll handle him? You sure done fine so far. Hit me. I'll kill you for this, Pence. Shut up, Elsa. I got up on your feet. I didn't hurt you. But I sure will next time. And there won't be no Marshal around to nurse you, Elsa. I didn't come to Dodge to get kicked around. Not no more, not never. You ain't even got half of what's coming to you, kid. Leave him alone, Pence. Now, you, Elser, I told you to go find a job, you remember? A job? It's a gun I'm going to find me. He wouldn't have hit me if I'd have been carrying a gun. You start wearing a gun and I'll throw it in the Arkansas and you went after it. Come over here a minute. I'm giving you a chance to make good, Elser but it's not going to last forever. Now you get out of here and start doing something about it. The next day, I had to go up to Fort Larned on government business. But before I left, I talked to a couple of ranchers who were in town about hiring on Steve Elser. However, they'd heard about him and said I was making a big mistake trying to help a boy that was headed for the end of a rope. Well, I argued with him, but it was no use. And I decided I'd try to find him a job in town to start with. 
I was gone two days, and the night I got back, I went over to the Texas Trail looking for Chester. He wasn't there, but Kitty was. I saw Chester about an hour ago, Matt. He didn't expect you back till tomorrow. Uh, it didn't take as much time as I thought, Kitty. Uh, tell me about things here, huh? Well, nobody's been shot or hung, I know of. <laughs> There's one thing I don't like, though. Oh, what's that, Kitty? You know Ben Hander? Uh, for one reason or another, I've thrown Ben Hander in jail at least ten times. Well, he and Steve Elser have been running together the last couple of days. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mighty poor company for Elser. I think you're wasting your time trying to help that kid, Matt. As much as I admire your reasons. He isn't wearing a gun, is he? Not so far. <sighs> I don't like this, Kitty. Could be that all Ben Hander needs to get into real troubles a partner. Somebody just like Elser who will kind of look up to him. Egg him on. Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping the boy had done something about finding a job. Maybe you've been too easy on him, Matt. I've done what I thought was right, Kitty. I know. Has uh, Bill Pence been around or Bowers? No, but I heard Bowers has spread it all over the country how the law turned a cow thief loose. Oh, sure, I expected that. Well, you can't blame people for wondering about it. No, but I can sure blame Bowers for backing up Pence on a lynching. If he's going to talk about the law, why doesn't he start with that? Matt. What? Look around, headed for the bar. Yeah. I'm going to have a talk with him, Kitty. I'll see you later. Sure. Hello, Elser. Oh, Marshal. I heard you's out of town. I got back tonight. You gonna buy us a drink, Marshal? Not likely, Hander. Dad ain't very friendly. You found a job yet, Elser? No. No, I ain't. You been looking? Oh, some. Where? Here and there. Where? Oh, it's no use, Marshal. First man I asked said nobody would hire me. Anyway, there's no lawman's got to have a job. You got to have one. I'll lay off him, Marshal. He ain't done nothing. Of course I ain't. Why is everybody always kicking me around? Now, you think that's what I'm doing? Everybody is. Makes me ashamed. Nobody will trust me. Well, sir, I'll help you find a job tomorrow. Around Dodge somewhere. But I told you nobody... People will trust you as soon as you prove to them that they can. No, they won't. Besides, I don't want no job. I just don't want one. There's no other way, Elsa. You find a job by tomorrow night or get out. Oh, you can't do that. You give him a week before... I changed my mind, Hunter, since he's met you. What's that got to do with it? You're no good. And sooner or later, he'll be in trouble. So he's got to move faster now. You, you got no right to talk that way about me, Marshal. Why not? Well, why not? Oh, leave him be, Marshal. Leave me be, too. I'll make out all right. I always do. Oh, you made out fine in that cottonwood grove, Elsa. So far, you're not doing much better here. 
Now, you come see me tomorrow night and you have a job. And if you think I don't mean what I say, you ask Hander here. He knows me. Maybe Kitty was right about my being too easy on young Elser. But as I found out next day, being hard on him didn't work any better. I just had breakfast at a little Mexican place at the edge of town, and I was walking back into the plaza when I noticed a small crowd in front of the Overland Express Company. I started across to find out what was going on when Chester spotted me and came running over. He shot him, Mr. Dillon. He, he shot the clerk in there. Who shot him? Ben Hander. He tried to hold the place up about ten minutes ago. Well, where is he to get away? Well, they say some men chased him down to the OK stable, and they've got him trapped in there. All right, come on. I, I talked to the clerk, Doc's with him now. It was Ben Hander alone, Mr. Dillon. Elcher wasn't with him. Huh. He got any money? No, sir. Some men heard shooting come run across the plaza right away, and Hander got scared and left. I wonder where the boy is. Nobody ain't seen him I talked to. Yeah. How bad's the clerk, Chester? Oh, he took one bullet in the shoulder. It's going to hurt some, but it won't kill him. Look, there they are, Mr. Dillon. Four or five of them, looks like, spread out around the stable area. I guess he must be waiting for you. Good. Hey, that one right there, ain't, ain't that Bill Penn? Yeah, it is. Pence? Hey, Bill Pence. Yeah. Well, we got him, Marshal. He's in that stable there. No way for him to leave without getting shot. Okay. I want you and the other men to stay where you are, Pence. I'll go on after him. Well, he's armed, Marshal. Sure. We could set fire to the police. But with horses in there? Oh, I forgot about them. Chester. Chester? Wait here till I yell for you, huh? Well, Mr. Dillon, if it's okay, I'd like to come up to the door with you. All right, sure. If he gets past us, Pence, shoot him. Well, you sure will, Marshal. That door swings out, Chester. Now that you're here, you can pull it open, but stay behind it. I'll go in alone. Okay, sir. Hander? Hander! It's Marshal Dillon. You stay where you are, Marshal. You can't get away, Hander. There are five men waiting out here for you. Now, don't be a fool. That clerk you shot isn't hurt bad. If you try to run now, you'll die for it. I didn't kill him? No. I'm coming in, Hunter. It won't do you any good to shoot me, Hunter. So you might as well give up. Now, you take your choice. You go to prison for a few years or die this morning. Don't shoot, Marshal. I'm quitting. All right, then walk up here with your hands in the air. I'm coming. You What's that? Who are you talking to? It's me, Marshal. Elsie. What? Uh, then you come out with your hands up, too, Elsie. 
We're coming. Chester. Yes, sir? Come on in here. All right, that's far enough, you two. Stand right there. Elser, so you was in on this. No, he wasn't. He wasn't anywhere near that express office. He's wearing a gun. I got a right to wear a gun just like any other man. He had nothing to do with that robbery, Marshal. Clerk and those men that followed me here can tell you that. He was waiting here with your horses. You can't prove that, Marshal. Why are you standing up for him, Hunter? He's a good boy. People let him alone. I ain't done a thing. Chester, take Hunter's gun. Yes, sir. I got it, Mr. Dillon. What about Elser? No, leave him alone. Step over here, Hunter. Elser? What, Marshal? I still think you were waiting here to get away with Hunter. But he's right about it being hard to prove. I ain't done a thing, Marshal. No, but you would have. Anyway, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm taking Hunter to jail now, and while I'm doing it, I want you to get out of Dodge. For good. And don't come back. Kicking me around again, ain't you? I've done all I can for you, Elsa. There's nothing more I can do. You're on your own now. All right, Hander, you know where the jail is. Start walking. Sure, my shoe. So long, kid. Let's go, Hander. Mr. Dillon! He was... He was drawing on you, Mr. Dillon. He... He was going to shoot you in the back. He died before he hit the ground, Hander. I could see it from where I was standing. Thanks for warning me, Chester. I was just starting to follow you, and I seen him move out of the corner of my eye. I had a feeling he might try it. You did? That's why I was half ready for it. Anyway, it's the first time I've been right about him. I sure guessed wrong up till now. But it was worth it, Mr. Dillon. Trying to help him, I mean. No, not him, Chester. It was already too late to help him. I should have known that. Now our star, William Conrad. Thank you, George Fenneman. Ladies and gentlemen, I have two important pieces of news for you. First, as of this Saturday night, October 2nd, Gunsmoke goes back to its original time, where you discovered it and liked it. That's 8 p.m. in most cities, this Saturday and every Saturday. Second, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Perry Como will bring you an exciting new program with all of radio and TV's top tunes. That starts next Monday night, October the 4th at 9 p.m. So remember, Gunsmoke every Saturday night, Como every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They're both on CBS Radio. Thank you. (laughs) 
Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Lawrence Dobkin, Joe Cranston, and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again this coming Saturday as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Remember, a week from tonight, hear the great new Perry Como Show on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And this coming Saturday, hear Gunsmoke, both over CBS Radio. This is the CBS Radio Network. From September 27, 1954, that was Gunsmoke and Helping Hand. Wasn't that a good story? Chester, your your face is all purple. <laughs> he just exhaled. You're still holding your breath. You still have the hiccups. Oh my. I'm so sorry. What what? He's telling me that we're all out of time. So let me pick up all the shows and carry them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again with a whole clean new slate of shows. Since we've been talking about memories tonight, I had a really nice letter. Oh, this was a couple of years ago, and I played this song then. But it was from a young, uh, well, from a woman, a grown woman, probably someone about our age. But she was saying that when she was uh, younger, when she was a kid and still living at home, that her father was in the service. And about the time he he got out of the service and came home to live permanently instead of wandering around the world with his unit, he went out one night and bought a, I think it was a console stereo, if I recall. And he, she said she remembered that uh, he would put records on and he and his wife, her mother, would dance and a lot of times they would do it late at night when they thought that this young girl was sound asleep but she would sit at the bedroom door and peek out and watch her parents dance and she said this is one of the songs that they dance to frequently isn't that a nice memory so that's what we're going to go out with tonight a little floyd kramer all right everybody this is bob bro i'm so glad you stopped by and i'm so glad you met me